0: More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be looking at um, the first five verses in chapter two, going on in our study in the book of Philippians. We're going to read um, 2 through 11, which uh, originally I had that as part of the sermon, but uh, six Through 11 is um, through history. It was known as a psalm. They believe that this was a psalm in the early church that people actually memorized and sang, um, verses 6 through 11, um, just um, really on the exaltation of Christ, on his humiliation, and then, um, well, first the incarnation, and then his humiliation, and then his exaltation. Um, That was a, a centerpiece for the early church. And so those verses, um, churches began to sing those and recite those and memorize those um, as a, a beautiful picture there. So I, I wanted to keep keep that along with this, but I just wanted to really uh, separate that. Um, it, it's part of the um, message, but we're not going to cover those verses this morning. We're going to cover one through five first. So um, we noticed a slight turn from the previous section in the letter where um, Paul was... Um, Ending that chapter one, and remember, in in his day, he wasn't writing it in chapter form with verse numbers. He was just writing this letter, but part of it was to um, affirm to them that he was okay, and that he was going through further persecution, but that he was trying to press to them, um, like his statement, for to me to live is Christ, so no matter what happens, it's going to be more Christ. So you, Philippian church, thank you so much for sending Epaphroditus with, with the financial gift to help me, and thank you for your concerns, but I want to let you know, it's going to be okay, but, but be aware that there are people opposing you, there are people on the outside wanting to attack, and there are some inside your church, and we'll see this in, in chapter four, I think it is, um, a couple of uh, people that are having um, some disunity, and that he's heard from Epaphroditus that, that this disunity and some of these divisions are spreading, and so he's wanting to talk to them about the unity. And that comes across in those last verses of chapter 1 that we finish up there. And we're going to see that continue. But, but Paul's going to make this press and expound this idea and this picture of the type of characteristics that would obviously be evidence for someone who is truly in Christ. Um, for someone who is truly in union with Christ. So that's, And I want to throw that out there. That, that word, as you're talking with people... Instead of us using the term just Christian, it's it's kind of lost its value. I'm not saying stop using the word Christian, but if everyone's a Christian, then no one's a Christian, right? Um, and so, what I mean by that is, if you, like I, I t- told you before that with college students, when I would say, oh, so tell me about, tell me about your, your life growing up. And so, college guys would kind of open up and kind of begin to share things, and they would be sharing different things, and so then it would be clear that they thought that they were a Christian, but yet they had a lifestyle now in college that was completely antithetical to the gospel, antithetical to following Christ, and so I, I would kind of go, oh, so do you consider that following Christ? And they would just, you know, this kind of fork in the road look like, uh, I guess I've been telling him I'm a Christian, but obviously he sees a lot in my life that's not following Christ at all. And so uh, I I would even challenge you to think through that, that uh, your union with Christ. So what does that look like, your union with Christ? Um, Your um, being in Christ. Are, Are you sure that you are in Christ? And make and that may make people want to think through, man. What does that mean? Because culturally, Christianity is just well. I know God exists, and I don't oppose that idea. I believe you know there's a God. I'm not really sure what's going to happen afterwards. It's a lot of it's a growing idea that God's so loving that there could never be a true hell. Um, and that there's a growing number of people inside the church even that say that, um, that they kind of think that because of um, other religions, if people are very devout in Islam or very devout in Hinduism or very devout in Buddhism, that they'll kind of get a second chance. Like because of they were so devout and so uh, sincere in their faith that once they go you know, behind curtain number three, oh, oh, it's Jesus the whole time. Oh, well, hey, well, well I, then I would accept him and at the end of life. We just get that. You even hear that at funerals. You know, like the scoundrel that's laying there up in the coffin and everyone's just praising them and talking about all this stuff. And some people are sitting there going like, I, he hated God. Like all he lived for was self and sin. Like that's clear, but people are just praying. The preacher's trying to make him sound like he's some angelic force. And so think through that. What's, what's union in Christ? Not only for people around you, but what, what does my union with Christ mean for me? And the reason I'm stressing that is because that union with Christ that um, being identified in Christ is what changes everything. And what I'm saying about that is your identity changing to where your new creation now allows you and enables you to walk in obedience, where before you could not walk in obedience. You were a slave to sin. Now, you may be a, a very good moral person, but you were still a slave to sin, and you were under the curse of sin, and sin had power over you. In Christ, it does not have power over you. When you're union, in union with Christ, um, it, you've been freed from that. You have, you're dead to sin, and your sins were taken off and thrown on Christ. You're free from sin now, and so your union in Christ is that new identity, and that is what we're going to talk about today. And so, let me read. Let's read Philippians two one through eleven, and then we're going to just we're going to actually just cover verses one through five. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ. Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So you see that press for um, just intimate unity and love. But do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among, you, uh, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Notice that, have this mind among you. So have this type of mindset, which is already yours in Christ Jesus. And now he, he describes what, why and where that comes from. Who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Father, we thank you for this beautiful, um, significant piece pointing to um, the beauty of what Christ has accomplished, the beauty of your plan that was fulfilled in Christ, the beauty of the Spirit coming and applying that salvation and the ongoing work of sanctification um, in our lives we thank you for um, the reality that you do not ask us to do or command us to do things that you haven't provided for us the ability to do those things. You haven't um, commanded us to do things that you haven't already provided us the righteousness, the love, the humility, the unity, um, the gentleness, and the ability to go through with difficult tasks, sacrificial tasks, because we are in union with Christ. Would you help us to evaluate our hearts? Would the Holy Spirit come and help us to evaluate our hearts on what being in Christ looks like? And then from the overflow of that, how we are um, treating other people, what that means as far as our attitudes, our behaviors, our actions. We thank you for um, the grace that sustains us. We thank you for the grace that can enable us and empower us to change. In your name we pray, amen. So um, as we're looking at that, uh, the the, that first section, notice those um, things that I would call kind of this this package of a gift. And I think we have a slide there. Um, just this package of a gift on the um, one side there. If you are in Christ, if you have union with Christ, you've been changed, here's kind of this package of gifts that you probably have experienced, you should have experienced. If, if any encouragement of love, I mean, sorry, if any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation from the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if, if any of these have hit your life, and if any of these are currently changing you, then live this way is what he, he's saying. So, so you see there the aspect of being changed in union with Christ, now your being will affect your doing. And a lot of us, we don't realize, uh, even in churches sometimes, it's taught if you just go and do these things, you'll be more accepted by God. Doing, doing, doing will affect your being. Now, there is an element of let's be obedient, even in times when you don't feel obedient, like you don't feel like reading, you don't feel like praying, you don't feel like um, listening to someone when they've got a problem, you don't feel like being generous to them. Like so we should still be uh, generous and we should, should still go and do these things, even sometimes if it is in kind of that duty form, because sometimes in doing your reading, doing some prayer, that, that's when the being, start, you're reminded of things. It's like singing these worship songs. It's supposed to refresh our minds and remind us. Um, so that's not saying to do away with that. But what Paul's saying here is that since this is true, these things are true about you, what God has done for you, think and act this way. Because of Christ, we can think and act this way. And and you may be a type person that you've never even realized this about yourself, that a lot of times you struggle with different sins, and it's because you're thinking that you have to do it on your own power. Kind of white-knuckling it and just either resisting, 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 and, and you have these seasons where you resist for a while, and then you break down. And then you resist for a while, and then you break down, and so you're not learning that in that process that I have the Spirit's power that can change my thinking, change my mind, change my desires on those things. Um, so here are the things that we're going to see in this: is that this aspect. Um, again, you'll see the two points, number one and number two. There, number one is pursue and act this way, um, and then I had that broken down to those verses two, three, and four because Paul talks about this unity and love, which is this word koinonia this type of fellowship, but then also, the, in verse 3, the heart of humility, and then verse 4, these tangible acts of care. This is action for the good of others. And then the second point, which, which is flowing out of the end of chapter 1, and then he says, if any of those things are true about you, then act this way. And then he says, act these way, act these ways, and then he goes right back into the gospel again. He goes right into Christ. So he's he's got like two um, bookends. Hey, if, you, if, if, if God has done all this work in you, then you should behave this way. This should be characteristic of the way you live. Because of why? It's all supplied of what Christ has done, verses 6 through 11. So it's kind of this cyclical um, perspective there. So God paint, or Paul paints a picture of the type of grace-appreciating, uh, gospel-centered, others-oriented environment that local assemblies of believers should be um, living in. It's an example of being before doing. Um, but the being and the doing flow out of what Christ has done and accomplished for us. What he has provided for us supernaturally through the Spirit. But I do want to be clear because um, one of my concerns, and, and everyone has loved over the last 15 years this this uh, emphasis on the gospel. So gospel hyphen, gospel hyphen, all the books. Gospel-centered, gospel-driven, uh, all these gospel, gospel, gospel. So there's good to that in the end of churches that have taught You're a bad Christian. Shame on you. Go be a better Christian. You're bad. You're pitiful. You shouldn't be that way. Go be a better Christian. Go work harder. And that doesn't work. It's just frustrating. It's defeating. And so they're like, no, 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 it's the gospel. God loves you shockingly, even though you still blow it. You still make these mistakes. He knew you were going to. And so now you need to be reminded of the gospel. That's what will strengthen you, not your own willpower. Um, so that's good, but but what I want you to hear, and what you need to be clear on is that you cannot just go and do this on your own power. So I want to emphasize that this flows out of Christ's work. You're looking to the gospel and you're looking to Christ. That, that's good. We need to look at that. We have to look at that. My concern and an and, and emphasis on gospel gospel is I'm seeing some some things happening, with some younger generations that's going like, oh, it's all gospel, so it really doesn't matter what I do. Because I'm forgiven, I'm blessed, it doesn't matter what I do. No more shame, so I'll just go and live like this. No more guilt, right? All the worship songs you're saying. And so do you see what's happening? There's a disconnect between obedience and holiness. It's, it's, it's an idea of Christianity without the givens of, no, this leads you to obedience. If you are changed, and that's what Paul's saying here, if you have been changed, you should be living in obedience. And so I just want you to hear that that there is the aspect of um, do not do this on your own power. You need to look to the gospel, look to supernatural power that, that God can provide for you. At the same time, you do have to actively do something. You have to be obedient. It's not let go and let God. And well, Christ already accomplished this, so who cares about obedience? Who cares about purity? Who cares about holiness? Who cares about all those things? So I want you to hear in the middle of this gospel-centered um, revival that it does require obedience also, um, especially some of you younger people. Um, so this leads us to what theologians call indicatives and imperatives. So all that talk, about this cyclical talk, leads us to what um, theologians, pastors for for centuries have called the indicatives versus imperatives. Um. So the dashboard in our older Tahoe, it has more lights blinking than uh, the dash on a 747. So some of you have probably had vehicles like that. And so what, what's dangerous about that is they get going for so long and you're like, that's been like six months. That thing, It's probably the switch that's messed up. Like there's nothing really going wrong. Like it's that, that thing. And so, you know, then when you have the, the wreck or something pulls over, you know, you have to pull over because it's completely shut down. They're like, yeah, that, how long has that light been on? You're like. I don't know, like two years. How how long do I get? Like five years? And so they're like, no. Like when when that light comes on, you need to get it checked within like 30 miles, you know? And so we have all these blinking lights on. What those blinking lights are saying is is that it's trying to get your attention, trying to tell you something that currently as you're driving and things seem nice, that blinking light means you're not aware of this because it's driving, but your tire is actually low. Or your engine needs help. And one of the, our check engine lights, it can mean one of like a hundred different things. So that's frustrating. And so um, think of that as, so this, this is the words indicative, and also um, with um, the imperatives. Think of it in, in the way of um, indicators. So indicative, indicative, if you wanted to say it. This is indicative of what God has done. So um, your tire is low. So in the car situation, the blinking light's on. It's saying, currently, your tire is low. That's indicative, right? It's saying what? You better go do something. You better go air up that tire. Um, another one would be, um, your gas is empty. Indicative light. Your gas You better go get some gas. So your action flows out of the, the indicative light, right? Um, in vehicles, it's always warning and bad news right? Like there's none like, hey, pull over and you'll get a $10,000 reward at the new gas station. That's ne- It's never good news when the blinking lights come on, right? Um, it, but in the gospel and in the scriptures, those indicative things that are going on, they're always good news. So there's there's these blinking lights in scripture that we're going to see, and they're good news telling you that you don't have to live like you formerly did. You don't have to treat people this way. You don't have to be bound to sin. It's, it's good news, good news, so therefore go live this way. Um What happens if you ignore those indicative lights when you're driving? It's bad, right? Um, Same thing with Christianity. It's bad for you, your soul, your spiritual life. It's bad for the believers around you. It's bad for lost people around you. It's bad all over if we're not living in the indicatives, the indicatives, okay? So it's weird thinking for us. Now, Now, we're going to have to switch gears because this is weird thinking for us. We don't think this way as Americans. Um, even just humans, start acting like you already are. That's kind of weird thinking, isn't it? Start acting like you already are. Because when you have little kids, you you don't tell them, hey, you need to start acting like you are. You're usually like, hey, the way you're acting, don't act like that. Act like you're not acting, right? So the gospel says, act like you have been renewed. Act like you are free from sin. And sometimes, I'm I'm just being honest, sometimes that simple, kind of duh statement, that helps things. Like with different temptations things, I I might get frustrated with that, I'll go, why why am I getting frustrated with that? That that doesn't even matter, and here I have been stirring for five minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, thinking through this whole scenario, that I'm free from that. That doesn't, that's not, it doesn't even matter. I'm free from that. And so, um, much of evangelical thinking goes that way it goes opposite of that if we were to say become or do what you already are that that, that's not the way that we usually think there's a story about a police officer that went into the training. he wasn't a police officer yet so he went through all the training um and and he would ride with the the police and so if you ever do that just know that like it it, it can be life-changing because like it, it may be a simple thing you pull over a couple people speeding Third time you pull over someone, they're just speeding. They get out with a gun or something. Start, you know, and and everything changes. You're like, I am clearly not ready for this. Like I'm just riding. I'm not. I I don't know what to do. Like I hope this cop is really good shot or whatever. I hope we can tackle them or something. This could get out of control quick because this guy's, you know, inebriated and angry. And there's two of us here, and one's got a gun and I don't have it. You go through some training, six weeks, ten weeks, eight months, nine months, and this story goes that as this person was in training, they would pull up on scenes and they would you know, get out of the car and the, if it was you know, a wreck or something bad, they would get out and they would always go stand around and people were just you know, watching and that, that true police officer would go to action and he would be down doing CPR and, and uh, calling the ambulance and doing these things or, or literally going into these wrecked cars, pulling people out. And so this other person that was training, they were not supposed to you know, legally do anything. And there's times when we felt like, man, I probably should do something, but they've told me I can't, I'm not trained and everything. Well, then comes the day after months and months and months, and he's learned all these rules and laws and all these things of how to do things and all these procedures. He's been fully equipped. Now, he's got like the belt. Have you noticed the police belts now? I don't know what they're going to do. Like, they're they're out of room. They have so many instruments. It used to be, you know, Barney Fife. You had your bullet in your pocket and you're in your holster, and that was it. Now, I, I don't even know what they have. And so there's probably teleportation type things. And so they, they have so much stuff, and so they've got all this stuff carrying around. And so now he's got it all, he's equipped, he's been trained, he's graduated the academy, and they pull up on this horrible scene, and, and so you know, he jumps out with his partner, and his partner goes and starts doing all this stuff and directing people, and he, and he just in a habit of just standing there watching. And you know, people are kind of looking up at him like, hey, hey man, what, what, won't you do something? And, and, and you know, finally someone says, something like, hey, you're a police, do something. So do you see what's happening there? They're, they're looking at him and going, you're equipped. You, you're no longer a citizen who can't do anything. You're changed now. You are a policeman. You're the one that's set up for this. You're the one that should be acting this way. You should be directing and telling us what to do. And so in the same way that we are looking at this in the in the gospel, there are these um, things that are indicative of what God has done in our life. And because of those things, now go live this way. Um, Much of evangelical preaching goes just the opposite. It'll teach, like I said earlier, so you're not holy. You're bad, but you're supposed to be really good Christians. So go and be a better Christian. That's the message. Um, You're a bad sinner. You shouldn't sin, and you know that. So go serve more. Give more to this campaign that we've got. Be better. Um. The idea, you should be better and go do this. You should be better, go do this. And so it's dumping of, uh, of shame and guilt and then telling you to go do something. Those two things crush people. They do not live out of the indicative. And so um, you should go do something flowing out of you should be better. It's no indicatives there. So it's not flowing out of God's work. It's only flowing into your own um, self-will. And a lot of the church for a number of years uh, played that way. So let's look at these indicatives. So, this is what the indicative means this what God has done. It's a statement of truth or a state of being on what God has accomplished. And the connection between um, those two things there, the connection between indicatives and imperatives, so think of those indicative lights of what God has done. Um, God's commands for us to be holy are rooted in God's providing Christ as our holiness. It's rooted in the idea that God knew that the Holy Spirit was going to be there to help you. So we've talked about, what does He do? You start getting tempted, He brings some conviction to go, hey, no, 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 no. don't do that. You don't have to do that anymore. That's going to lead, it's a lie. It's a lie, you know this. It's not going to lead to life. It's lying to you, it's not going to be satisfying. It's going to condemn you. I don't want to do that. You have a choice beforehand, pre-grace, that you can accept before you even sin. You don't have to do that. There's grace for you. And so the Holy Spirit's working there. So this is what God has done to enable us and empower us to walk in obedience to holiness. So God's commands, his his imperatives are rooted in his indicatives, what he has already provided for us. So the imperatives are a command. Go do this, right? This is why people get it wrong when they think of Christianity as a list of rules or commands. So a lot of people outside the church, they think the Bible is just a whole bunch of lists of rules. And so then they think that us Christians who come to church on Sunday, that we're trying to just memorize the rules and we think we're better than them because of all the rules that we keep and they don't. And that's just a false understanding. This, that, that takes Christ out of it, doesn't it? That's not what we're doing to worship. We don't come in here and worship ourselves. We don't come and worship our ability or our, our performance. We come in and go, no, if, if not for Christ, we none of us would be here. So... Here's some examples. So now you know what indicative is, what God has already done for us. Imperatives are the commands. Go and do these things. So the Bible may seem to you that it's a whole bunch of those commands, but if you begin to learn, it will mature you if you can see the indicative. So some examples um, of the indicative here. You are saved by grace alone. We know that, right? That's not a command for you to go do anything, is it? That's just indicative. That light blinking, beautiful, beautiful light. You are saved by grace alone. You couldn't earn it, and you couldn't lose it, right? Beautiful light. You are in union with Christ. You, but you've got to ask yourself sometimes, do I really believe that? Getting tempted. Here's the situation getting tempted. I'm in union with Christ. I'm in union with Christ. I'm tied to, I like to think of myself, literally tied to Christ. Because it says slaves to Christ. You're tied to him. Tied, a slave to righteousness, a slave to Christ. You're no longer slaves to sin. You were formerly slaves to sin. You couldn't even not do it sometimes. It could overpower you. Those are truths. So this, out of your new identity of being, a new you, produced by God, your new identity is in Christ. These are all indicatives. You're no longer slaves to sin. So do you believe that? And do you act in accordance with that truth? See, see that may help some people. Just right there, just go, man, the next time I'm being tempted, this earth, I am in union with Christ now. I don't have to do that. I'm no longer captured by, by sin. You have Christ's mind available. A lot of people don't know that. Verse 5 just said that. Hey, you have the mind of Christ. It's already yours in, this, in Christ Jesus. He says, you have this mind. It's already yours in Christ Jesus. So those are things that are indicatives. The imperatives. So here's some examples. If I just said, hey, you, go be holy. That's an imperative command. So the Bible has imperatives. But they are always what? Supplied by, flowing out of the indicative. Um, let, let's, and, and on this idea of you be holy, a couple things here. Number one, it's an issue of your loves. What your heart loves and desires. Um, Go be holy. Um, your heart, your mind, reminding yourself, preaching to yourself. I- I'm in union with Christ. There is holiness available for me when I feel like not walking in holiness. I can call on Christ. His imputed righteousness is not only a statement in God's legal system that you are justified, but his righteousness, he has it to flow down to you to help you. In the middle of that, that the, the spirit can enable you to act holy when you don't feel like, when you're being tempted to not act holy. Um, so, what happens when we fail? So that's a great question. So people say, "But I keep failing. I keep messing up." That's why we look at those rhythms of of conviction. So I, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to convict me quickly. Like, don't don't go there. I'm, I'm quickly trying, hey, God, I want to agree with you. Right now, this lie is saying that I would be more satisfied if I did this sin. That's a lie. I'm agreeing with you, God, so confessing that, and I want you to help me to repent. So the cycle of repenting in faith, that this is better, being obedience with you, instead of going and doing that thing that that's lying to me, saying it's going to satisfy me. And then if you do that, and you stay in that, you don't follow through with sin, and then you're like, wow, there's this renewal that happens. I rested in Christ and what he had done. I rested in Christ's righteousness instead of my own. And now I'm worshiping him more. That's how that flows. So that's what you be holy doesn't mean just on your own power. It means allowing the Lord to work there. Um, go and make disciples. Um, another one. Can you be obedient to that without the bookends? Jesus started out, I have all authority on heaven and earth. He's about to lift off the ground. I own, I, I can change people's hearts just like that. As you're living, so the word go there means just as you're going through life, the command, go make disciples. But it started with the indicative, because I own everything, I can change people's hearts. That, that, that guy that you think, that woman that you think, there's no way, I mean, I shouldn't, even, I shouldn't even bring up God because they're so anti-God, they're living in so much filth and sin. All authority has been granted to me. You Go and make disciples. And then what does it say at the end? After teaching and baptizing, Behold, I am with you, church, always to the end of the age. I can still change people. So some beautiful things about how even with the imperative, it's based on the indicative. In our verses today, be of the same mind. Be of, um, uh, be of the same mind. Count others more significant. Look to others' interests. Have this mind among you. So here's a, a couple of verses in Romans that bring up the same idea. I hope this is helpful. This is Romans 6, 18 through 19. Having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. So that's the indicatives, right? Therefore, now based off of that, that you're, you've been set free from sin, now you're a slave to righteousness. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to further sanctification. So there's the imperative. Present your members, live your life in this way. In, in, in Galatians 5, 16 through 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, the indicative. Therefore, based off of that, walk by the Spirit now. And if you do that, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So you see the imperative there. So imperatives that are divorced from the indicatives become impossibilities, impossible. And so if you try to live out the imperatives, the commands, and and not live through the indicative, it's impossible. The reason this is important is God never commands us to do something that he has not provided and equipped us to be able to do. So that, that's, that's just some extra help there. So that's a little teaching lesson as we go into these. Just, that's why I, I wanted to get that out there because this is going to be repetitive in Philippians. As we look at these, this next section here, that's why it makes sense now for Paul to bring that up. And so we go to chapter 2, verse 1 there, and he says, If this is true... If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, so where did all that come from? Where did did, um, encouragement come from? Christ was the source of your encouragement. Um, Christ was the source of your agape love. If you've experienced that agape love and understood it and understood that Christ, God, that was God's plan, then that's your new clothes. You can't say, hey, God, I refuse to treat people with agape love. I received it myself. Hey, thanks a lot, but you should see these people around me. They're pitiful. I hate my church. I hate the people in my workplace. I hate my family. That's a slap in the face going, hey, God, I don't believe you can change them. Oh, yeah, for me? Yeah, I'll take it. But not for them. So Paul going, if you've experienced these things, This type of agape love, this type of encouragement, this type of the Holy Spirit being the source of your participation, if you've done those things, then be of the same mind. So the word there is being of the same mind, have the same love. So we see this emphasis on unity and love. I remember pulling into our neighborhood and driving down as the boys, when we were living out at Whitehawk, and I remember driving down, and we would kind of circle through or down down the long road and come to the end where our house was, and it's kind of on a hill where you would be going down the hill towards our house and pulling up as they were a certain age, and just week, day after day after day, week after week, I'd pull up, and, and the boys would be out shooting. And they, I mean, they would be, you know, it was you know suns out, guns out, they'd have shirts off, and they're pasty white but they'd be out there um, shooting playing ball and and they would be having a blast and sometimes I would they wouldn't even see me and I'd park about two houses down just watch and you know they would be doing things high-fiving have fun laughing they'd just be having so much fun and, and just loving one another just playing with such unity and everything and sometimes I'd pull up and Jamie would be sitting out there and there's times when I'd actually ask like hey can you guys make sure that the yard gets done can you guys make sure that all the equipment gets put back in the garage and some of the balls, and we always had balls and bats and all kinds of equipment laying in the yard. What, made more, what, what, what what pleased my heart more? When I pulled up and I saw them having that much fun and playing, man, my heart was just full. They were loving one another, having a blast together. The little details about the yard right then, there's time for the yard later. There's time for those other things. But what's the bigger picture there? That, that, man, they're loving, interacting with each other, having a blast. So when God looks down at His church, what's the overarching thing that He's, he's pleased with? Is it how tight and rigid we are on what, what worship songs it is? Um, is, is it how tight and rigid we are on all these other things and it allows us not to be loving, not to be a place where people are loved and felt welcomed? Um, with God as he watches um, the church or in our life what pleases his heart that's why I often try to get people to kind of just chill out on such angry dogmatic black and white stances whether that's worship songs or parenting options or just anything about the the hard Christian culture things that are not tier one things sometimes they're not tier two Sometimes it's tier three or tier four or five and people people will split churches over it, people argue, people will break apart from people. Um, we would rather be set apart thinking that we are right than be in a loving, grace-oriented place often, sometimes in the church. And that's not how it should be. Um, God wants unity and love as he watches down. Uh, not this, this ability to just kind of disregard love and unity sometimes we would rather conform to extra biblical external expressions than the scary and costly value of truly caring and sharing with other people our weaknesses our fears um with one another some churches want to organize around all sorts of little subgroups they, and you, you notice this will happen where a church begins just to conform and everything has to look just the same. And so what happens in that is that people begin to go, hey, they want to do the same thing with their children that we want to do. This must be unity. They're just like us. Hey, they want to make Christianity about a political force, just like we do. This must be unity, right? They want to make Christianity about uh, only about social injustices and activisms. That's what we want, just like us. So this must be unity. They they want to make Christianity only for those who who choose this type of whatever it is, child education. Just like us, this must be unity. Hey, they want to make Christianity only about blatant doctrine. Doctrine is all that matters, just like us. Must be unity. I think God's brokenhearted sometimes looking down going, "No, no, you've missed it. Those are little subcategories. You, you should, you can. It's fine to have people that that agree on something, but it's also beautiful to have this diversity of those things. It's not sin to have all divisions and those type of things. The division itself is the thing that gets us off. Paul is pleading for all of them uh, and, and all of us. We can do those things and align with tighter and tighter conformity and lists and tricks to keep everybody in line, and never experience the type of unity and love Paul's talking about. Um. If you struggle with that type of loving unity, Christ wants to change you. That's that's the good news of the gospel. So the indicative indicative thing going, hey, that's a struggle for you. Do do you have unity and love for the people, just a small group like us, a small church? God wants to change that. The Spirit can empower you to move past selfish, non-caring, apathetic, self-seeking heart. But are you willing to consider it or reject it? There is supernatural power from the Spirit to change this in us. If you are in union with Christ, His heart and His desires can become your heart and your desires. But is that something we typically pray for a lot? We, when we have our prayer list, our prayer requests. We don't usually pray for unity and, and even joy and love in our unity, do we? That's not something that's a high item on our prayer list. In fact, we could go to a small group and hear someone kind of say, well, yeah, we're, we're doing this, and we're doing this. And right, we're like, oh, our family, we, we don't do those things. And I would never do this. We, we, we want to do that. And, and like, oh, man, I don't know if they're really going to fit with us. And not send things, but just we're just doing something different. Um, so God is going, man, let the indicative flow that this type of love and, and isn't that exactly why for 30 years people wanted sermons giving them do's and don'ts, checklists, and lists of conformity, and politically tied preaching? Because it's tough to love people. It's it's easy to be cordial and nice to people. It's really tough to really care about people. To really, the, the, the word there, this this type of love, this type of hospitality is inviting them into your space, inviting them into your life. No, 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 no. Give me some lists. I can perform those lists, and I'll be very proud proud and prideful about it. And I can judge all of you because you don't have my list. I can perform that list better than anyone. But caring and listening to your problems and listening to whatever's going on or your history, I I, I don't have time for that. Because I'm so busy with this stuff. So Paul's going, here's the kind of heart that makes the Father happy. The second one he brings up is the humility there. Um, look in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. You, you, you want to talk about a challenge. You want to talk about like Mount Everest uh, of humanity. Count others more significant than you count yourself. Look at others and see them differently is the idea there. Um, be self-aware of how you notice, or how you tend to have this natural inclination to only think of self. Be aware of your own self, but also think differently and see others differently. Think of others as more significant than you are. And remember, he's going to go to, because this is exactly what Jesus did. Again, we you union with Christ? Well, I'm just not very good at that part. I'm just not very good. If you're in union with Christ, you can grow in that. Instead of going, hey, I liked it when Jesus came for me, but I ain't having anything to do with that. I ain't doing any of that. Um, it's very important to think through. Uh, instead of treating people out of a heart that um, gives evidence, that, and that, that understands the gospel, we need to think through, what, what makes me so selfish? And so a couple of things that play into this, is just first of all, just our, our sinful hearts, right? We're, we're, we're under the fall. Um fallen nature, original sin. That's always going to place ourselves, what was what Adam and Eve, hey, Satan just says, hey, you want to be God? Here's how you can be God. He's trying to keep something from you, something good. You should want what God has. You should be like God. And we all said, yep, I'd love to be God. In little bitty ways all the time. And so, um, fallen nature, original sin. Also, the ramifications of the fall. We all have wounds and hurts from people around us and from our, our fallen world. Um, We operate out of our hurts instead of healthy spirituality, which is abiding in Christ, walking in the Spirit, repenting, renewal, rest. So Paul wants them and wants us to see that the gospel saves you out of acting out of this selfishness. Jesus came and died for people, not an idea. Um, The most common Christian intention is, well, I would be doing something, obviously, because I'm a really good Christian. I just don't have time to help with people. I mean, I'm a really good Christian, but I don't really have time. What would be different if you viewed people differently, if you viewed them um, more of almost like this custodial, where you're the custodial mindset? Everyone you're running into, man, I'm going to view them more significant than I view myself. It doesn't mean that you have to think of yourself as um, like a worm, pitiful, but but. The less that you focus on self, the more you're going to able, be able to see other people differently. Now, that's a tough one. We're actually taught and coached and told to be focused on ourselves. It's actually a treasured value in our culture and our society. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were in a small group and um, Kyle was sharing And we were talking about something, I forget what it was, and he just shared that um, in the past, like several months ago, there was a a young lady who had come and she had visited, she had come for two or three weeks, and as she began to kind of share, she kind of openly shared the first night, like a lot about her life, and she began to share more and some some things that she had gone through in her life, and she had been through a couple of abusive situations and abusive marriages, and and Kyle, what was beautiful, and I hope that this becomes the type of uh, environment that we're in, as he said, I've been in other places sometimes where as she started sharing some of that stuff, like kind of just a a messy past and then some messy relationship things and some things that she had kind of got into and everything. He goes, I didn't feel nervous. I, I wasn't worried about people going like, just you know people like, beep, beep, beep. You know, everyone getting rigid, like, verses, what are my scriptures for that? Hey, here's, you know, this verse. Why, you shouldn't do this. Here's the verse. You shouldn't do this. Here's the, she knew those verses. What people didn't know was that she grew up in a very legalistic and um, self-righteous and very um, religious household. And so her parents and the people, adults around her, they were already doing that. When she was going through those difficult but no one was listening going and sympathizing and going, man, I'm so sorry this is going on. They were just going like, well, you made a bad choice, didn't you? You made another bad choice, didn't you? You made another bad choice, didn't you? You made another bad choice. And not understanding that when you get in an abusive situation, it's very difficult. And so he, Kyle was just sharing like no one was doing, we were just Want to listen. And people were kind of like, hey, we'll, we'll take you to lunch. We want to, you know, how, how are you doing? Just just want to care for you. And so that's what this means. The value and significance of someone, instead of looking down and just correcting them, um, becoming a place where people can open up about that. So Paul is saying, do you look at people different than the world looks at people? Are you seeing people differently? Are you thinking of them with more significance than you view yourself. Um, I I think through our kids, I'll hear our kids talking about different kids in class and like, why don't you hang out there? Oh, they're this, or they're this. or And we would see it very clearly in our children, but then sometimes as adults, we just do the same thing. Adults move back to 13-year-old junior high cafeteria tables. It's like, well, they're not just like me, so then I'm not going to have that much to do with them. Instead of like, no, they're valuable, I'm just going to send some care there. I just want to be around them. I just want to talk to them. And that's just hard for for kids. It's hard for adults. And that's what Paul's pushing here, this type of humility uh, and from the mind of Christ to where you treat others um, more significantly than you treat yourself. So now let's think through. A person who begins to go, hold it. I'm not really in unity and love, even with this small group of people, but I want to be. I want to start moving in that direction. And now it's not up to me, just my own willpower. I see that Christ has provided this type of unity and love, right? And now also, I should have humility that has changed my mind. That should be humbling me and change where I start to value people more and start to treat others in a different way as they're more significant. What's the next step? You're having a change? Action. So what does he say in in verse 4 there? Um, Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So you've been changing unity and love, humility. You see people as more valuable. Now I'm going to take action steps to actually do something. I remember Jamie and I. We, it was a lady in Northwest Arkansas. And her father had passed away, and they had, they they were they were loaded. He was one of the top ten guys in Walmart. I mean, loaded, loaded. And he, uh, her her, her dad had passed away, and we come and Jamie and I were like, you know, I was 28, and so we come and I, you're like, what can you give of these people? Like they don't need anything, you know, um, and and, and so. We, we come and we did something, we brought something I forgot what it was, and she said this statement to, us. She, you know, we said, "Well, hey, we're about to leave." And she goes, and, I, and we said something like, "Hey, let us know if there's anything that we can do." And I was like, "What can we possibly do for these people?" But I, let us know if there's anything we can do." And she said, "You know, it's funny inside the church. When things like this happen, everyone always says, "Hey, let us know." She's like, "You know, people just need to go do something. Just do something nice. Just provide a meal. Just provide three or four nights of meals. Just, hey, take the kids for two hours to Sonic or to the mall so the husband and wife can talk and make funeral plans. They had like four or five little kids. Go do something. Go take action. Self-initiate. That is showing, oh, oh, I value you more. I'm thinking of not my convenience and my selfishness, but, but this would be helpful for you. I see any kind of need that you have. I want to move towards you in your need. I want to act on that. Look, not to your own interests, but act also to the interests of others. So you see the beauty of those things put together. Why? Why would we do that? Because the Father, that's what God did. He set forth the plan of redemption. He took action for the good of us, while we're slapping him in the face with our sin and enjoying sin and hating him. The son made himself humbled and coming obedient to the Father's will, becoming a sacrifice for our sins. He took action in leaving heaven to seek and save that which was lost. The Spirit comes and acted in applying this this desire inside of us for salvation, the desire for forgiveness, the desire to be reconciled to God. He's the one that put that in us. Plus, he applied the guarantee of salvation, that if you're a believer, that you have this security in that. If you're being transformed by abiding and gazing at Christ, and that transformation, so you're being transformed, and that transformation leads to a loving unity, and that transformation in your mind leads to a humility of self where you're valuing others, thinking of them more significantly than yourself, then you begin to act. So what happens if you don't do the first one and don't do the second one? I'm not really concerned about unity. I don't really... I don't really love you guys. I just need a paycheck. I'll come up here, teach you stuff. I'm not, I, Man, you guys just, you're a wreck. You're a mess. And we've got our own problems. I mean, I'm really good. Jamie, the boy, it's a mess. I found a Gar, Gardetto's sack in the shower this morning. You know how scary that is? Think someone is eating Gardetto's in your shower? It's either Jamie or Jack. Like, that's a scary place. Like, we're a mess. They are, not me. And you, you guys are even worse because we're a Christian pastoral family, Right? That's what everyone thinks. Hey, we, we, we don't get any um, uh, less temptation or anything like that. And so I just need a paycheck. And that, that's not unity and love. That's not slowly walking people through difficult places in life to go, hey, man, the heart, where's the heart at? The heart needs to change here. Let's, let's be unified in love. What if I took that approach? What if, what if the church takes that approach of we don't care about unity and love, we don't care about looking at others as more significant, than ourselves, then we'll never act. But the person who's actually leaning on the indicatives, indicative lights, ding, 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 hey reminder, I know you're wanting to break away from that conversation. Ding, 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 you've been made, new across Christ, Christ's come and died for them. I think you can take 15 minutes and listen to their story. I think you can take 15 minutes and help them. I think you've got $10. I think that you've got $50. I think that you could spend some time serving it wasn't easy to come and die on the cross. So we must see, to help bring change in the way that people view Christianity, to help bring change the way people view Christians, to help bring change in the way that people view the local church, we must let God's change in us move to actions for the good of others. So we need this unity and love, we need this humility and actual action. So in closing, um, the gospel tells us because of him, because of what he has done, flowing out of that same power that raised him from the dead, what he has provided to change us through the spirit, we can live out this type of seemingly unimaginable unity, this type of Christ-like humility, seeing others more valuable than ourselves, and doing tangible acts of care, meeting people's needs that are right in front of us, putting on the mind of Christ. Because he says in verse 5 there, this is already yours in Christ Jesus. Start acting like what you are. Start behaving like what you are already, what He has accomplished in you. So, in closing, the walkaways as Brad comes up, are, are you learning to immerse yourself and walk in the indicatives to obey the imperatives? For some people, they, they've said, man, I've never even heard of this before. I remember several times when I've talked through some indicatives and imperatives. It's very cyclical in Philippians and Galatians and uh, some other places where it's like, man, Paul's really hitting on this. The indicative things that show you, therefore, based off of this. And you may go, oh man, I think I've just been trying to live out the commands. I've been trying to treat Christianity and the Bible as a rule book. How good can I do this week? Are you growing in unity and love with our own body of Christ? Are you making room in your heart, for the people sitting right in this room? Are you growing in humility, considering others more significant, seeing people differently, thinking differently about them? I know they got differences than you. Are you tangible? Are you walking and growing in tangible acts of care, self-initiating care? God says, man, that pleases my heart when I, when I pull up and I see that going on. I'm not so concerned about the the look of the outside of the church. I'm not so concerned about the website. I'm not concerned about all what songs you're singing or or all the hype. But man, is this type of environment being created? So as we go into this time, as we sing this song, let's have a time of um, assessing our hearts.